0: we didn't do that you want to know why they deserve a hand clap how many people did you have at your community group last time you had it 40 people at their house no big deal that's great kids half of them are kids right okay all right you have child proof to your home (laughs) Uh, well welcome how are you happy sunday Cool. (laughs) Happy Sunday. Okay, I'm so glad to be here with you guys today. We're really, really excited about this new series we're beginning. Uh, We've been thinking about, okay, when we go into community groups this year, in this year in particular, what do we feel and where do we feel God is leading us to take our church? And it just became really clear that it was around this series and it was really coming from this place of we never have all gone through the exact same thing at the exact same time. I'll give you an example. When I was living in Texas, Ann and I, we, you could go anywhere in any grocery store and you could say one thing definitely in common. What church you go to? And people would tell you what church they went to. It was very weird. You cannot do that here, Right. It was a common language. Everybody kind of, it was within the culture itself. Now, when this began, the pandemic, we all had something in common to talk about. We all thought different things about it. Yes, I know, but we all had something in common to talk about. It was never all gone through something all at the same time like that I remember in my lifetime at the same time. And so it was on all of our, the tip of all of our tongues, it was on our thoughts, it was something that we all had gone through so much, and there is probably no better time than now to then talk about, really remind us again about who God is, who we are, and who the kingdom is, and so, and what God has called us to experience, right? I said this last week, but the kingdom of heaven did not did not take a break during the pandemic. God's purpose and plan did not take a break during the pandemic. Or any other great historical event that was a crisis. It never stops. It's always going. It has from the, actually the beginning of creation and then set on fire post-Christ. It will never stop. There is an end, and God has it in mind, and he is going there whether we like it or not. God invites all of us to participate in this fullness of life, in the gospel, in the kingdom, and we're all invited into it. In any moment, we can say, you know what, I'm going to break, but God will not break. So I just said this to the other day, that the church makes it to the end. If you read about what the end looks like or the end of days, the church crosses the line. And so we're a church that's a glorious church that God is moving in the direction of history and humanity to where his end point is. And I just encourage everybody in these times especially that God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. And the plan, and, and Paul will say, I'll read it today, is in the church. And what his plans are is that humanity experiences gone through us as individuals and as the church. So this is a good time to think about thriving, not just surviving, right? So this is a six-week series that we're going to go through different topics of our life that we feel like this is an area where we see maybe some surviving happening, but God speaks very directly to those areas thriving in our life. And he's called us to that even amidst a crisis. If I could say a series statement, I wrote a huge paragraph about how I want to say it, but I'll just say it this way, that that, that thriving is about stewardship, thriving is about growth, thriving is about increase, thriving is ultimately about flourishing, and it's through our faith that we will do that. Circumstances cannot always give us our confidence. And and, and if you really kind of go really hard into it, they should never give us our confidence. Thriving is about living beyond circumstances. Thriving is about what God's gifted us and stewarding it well in our life to experience the fullness of life. No pandemic, no crisis, no circumstance can ever stop your passions that God has instilled inside of your heart through Christ it can never halt your calling to a fullness of life it is always there always beckoning you to come forward in that fullness the series passage i'll read this every single week it's john 10:10 10, 10. you probably most of you know it it'll be on the screen it says the thief only right comes only to steal kill and destroy But Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Life in this context means, yes, eternal life. But really in this context, Jesus says also that it's about an activeness of life, a vigorous life. It's completely sustained by God and you can have that in your life, right? Abundantly in this, having life abundantly means beyond the expected limits of what life can be for you. And I think sometimes that we'll let things set limits for us, but Christ came and said, there are no limits to the fullness of life for you. You can be even in, in moments of the disciples' life, and you can be going uh, through the hardest time, locked in prison, but yet sing for joy because of the eternal life, this active, created life living inside of you, this new creation that's birthed, that's beyond all circumstances. You can sing in your crisis. You can experience joy in your crisis, meaning because there's hope in that crisis. Life, I love that, abundantly beyond what we would have expectation for. Jesus says, I came to give you that. You know, when I think about just even how this life is pursued, it will be an intentional effort. Striving for, ultimately created to strive, meaning that we were created to want more, go after more, be more. It's Striving is always a struggle. You know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you want to strive for something, it's hard work, but the payoff is always worth it. Every time I want to, I don't run anymore because I just think that that's, uh, you know, pointless. I have a car, so I don't run. <laughs> but if you who run and love that, when you first start running, you, it's horrible when you run. I literally, when I start running, I'll be thinking like, oh, I'm probably going to, you know, hurt my knee. Oh, oh I better, well, my back's hurting. While I'm running, I'm having this argument with myself. You should probably stop. Wow, your heart's beating really fast. This is unusual sweat. I need water. I'll, yeah. Does anybody do this to themselves? Oh, no. Wow. Good for you. Well, for us mortals, it's difficult. And so when, when you're striving, it's difficult. But when you're done, Man, you feel so good. You feel and you think again, like, oh, that wasn't so bad. You experienced something, but it was hard to get there. And we're called to strive. We're called to want more. I think that one of the hardest things about this whole time is we siloed off a lot, you know. And in the corporate world, if you know this term, it's it was used, it was very, very Trendy at the time, probably even just 10 years ago, that being siloed off was a, it was really a death sentence for an organization. And so when departments would then just be unto themselves, they squandered resources. They didn't collaborate. They were running actually maybe even contrary to the mission of the organization, and they were splintering off, and they ended up setting up their own little organizations within the organization. And it, the, the effectiveness Overall, it was a disaster. But when you remove the silo and you work in unison and you collaborate and you work together, the energy and the synergy is incredible and it will propel the company forward. And I think it's the same way. It may be for some of us, it's time to remove the silo that maybe for a time I feel like maybe overwhelmingly we needed and for some of us, but God's calling us to mourn. I wouldn't say put, ever put yourself at risk, of course not. But I would say that maybe we've limited ourselves to the advancement of the kingdom and having life and life more abundantly. And maybe when we remove the silo and the greater work together, God has something in plan, a plan for us. Have you ever walked the Naples Christmas lights? Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm. Look at this photo. You'll see this pretty regularly. I remember walking by. And, and you're walking by, and you're like, amazing, amazing. And then you come to this house right here like that. If that's your house, I am so sorry. <laughs> it's not against you. Maybe you were busy, out of town, whatever, blew a fuse. But the and you're walking along, and you see the house, and we all, I don't know if you do, We you think the same thing, like, ah, that must be weird for them. Do you need did. Do you think they're friendly? That's the first things I think. They probably don't like their neighbors. They probably hate everybody out here. And you kind of quickly go past their house and just like, okay, we don't want to cause you any problems. They're, they're completely separated from what's happening all around them. Now, that this is an unfair example, and I don't know those people. Chrissy, uh, when we were talking about the series, she, she had let me know. The name of this place is Allegra? That's kind of a weird name. Isn't that a medication of some kind? Maybe an inappropriate one. I don't even know. I, I, you never know with them. There's lots of side effects, but the, the, this organization down in Costa Rica is kind of like a little hippie village. You can put this up, and uh, it, it first when she said, "You should look at this. It's interesting." Not that I'm promoting this at all, but it's it's this intentional living that they all moved there in a commune. Now I'm not a big commune fan, but. I would say that it was when I was reading through their their uh, statements of like. Uh how they operate as a people, the standards of which they are as a community that they uphold. They grow their food together. And then this very intentional dining room experience, right? From all the food they grow and work together, they put it all out there. It's quite an operation. And they have a whole day where they're in unity together, experiencing life together. It's very intentional living. And I think that I don't encourage communal living, you know, I don't know much about it, but I would say is that there are those who want to silo and they're missing out on so much. To live life and thrive, you will need to go after, right, intentionally, strive, get out of your comfort zone. When people come here who are new, and if you're new here today, I just want you to know that uh, we have the friendliest church in the world. They are going to go out of their way and say hi to you because we all know what it's like to be new, right? We all know what it's like to visit a new place, trying to find a church or even coming to faith. And we can remember how hard it was to connect in but, you know, it's intentional, right, that we, that we know what it's like to feel alone, but then we are intentionally going and reaching and connecting with you. It's not because you look weird or you stand out like a sore thumb. It's because we're intentional about that. My hope is always that we're that way. But I think with what's happened in the last year and a half, there's a way, and we couldn't even help it or stop it, that it was stay away, stay away. Don't connect. Just kind of look inwardly and not necessarily thinking outwardly. So everything felt like it was a lot of inwardly in our culture. I'll throw up these two things I was looking at. Uh, you know, Sometimes you can get the best idea of what humanity is thinking through the Internet and, and um, what people are wanting to know. This is an odd place to find this, but from dictionary.com, they put up this trend. Can you put up this first chart? And if you can't read it totally... These were the most searched terms across the U.S. from March to May in 2020. Almost all of these are what to do about what we're hearing going on around us. They wanted to know what do these things mean, right? They didn't understand what, like, tell me what quarantining means. Tell me what is SARS. What does it mean to socially distance? We were just inundated with it, and, and, and it was what was happening but all of those are really about kind of like just oh my gosh what do I do I got to take care of me and that's not a bad thing I'm saying but I'm thinking that sometimes we can only just stay there but God's called us to go out this one was interesting throw up this next one this was a recommendation from an emoji website. I know you go through these on how to appropriately use emojis, but emojis, but you could get an idea of through emojis, because I was watching trends of emojis. It's so weird of what you could kind of get an idea of what people are talking about through the emojis used on Twitter. And you can see the spikes of when the little mask uh, face was very high then and gone down. Or the virus emoji was high during this time and gone down. Where It's kind of just people are kind of at a heightened place. And then they're finding themselves kind of, you know, talking differently about, you know, the times they're in. And it's by the emojis they use. And this one was interesting because they're talking about how to really use these appropriately when it comes to social distancing. And I thought these were just fascinating of just how to pair them correctly in a way that can, people can understand just through an emoji. And it was everywhere. Dictionary.com in November said that the number one thing that was searched there was unprecedented. I didn't know people really needed to look it up, but people needed to look it up because they're hearing unprecedented, unprecedented, and that can feel overwhelming. Unprecedented is something that has never before been experienced, and people are wondering what is going on. It's unprecedented, but this isn't unprecedented for the gospel. This is not unprecedented for the kingdom. This is not unknown or foreign to God in the struggle of the gospel as it has made its way throughout history. <clears throat> to your hearts. It will never stop. It will go from here in this unprecedented moment to another generations down the road to other unprecedented moments. It will not stop. It cannot stop. And we cannot stop. And so probably the urgency I feel in the introduction of this series is this, is that there are some of us, when we stay too long in one place, We can, unfortunately, stay there too long. And God is calling us to more, to experience his joy and to experience trusting him more. Some of us don't think about the future right now, but God's called us to think about the future. You can't worry about the future because it's not promised. And God says, Jesus says, live right now in the moment. It's important with eternal perspective in mind. But hope in a future Jeremiah 29, 11 can't just be a phrase. It's God has plans for you, a hope in the future. And that then will lead us to strive for more. Some of us, it will be difficult to break some of the habits, but God is calling us for more. If it's reaching out to someone, reach out to them. If it's saying, let's go do this thing because I need to kind of get out, I need to do, I'm in a funk, I'm feeling down, reach out to somebody and say, can you help me with this? Can we do something together? Right? If it's just God's placing someone on your heart, do, do, do the response to it. Right? If it's, you're finding yourself getting negative and negative in a place where it's just negative, then no, 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 no. no. That, all this will be gone one day soon. Soon. But God has something more for you. Don't get caught in the weeds. Come out of the silo and join the party, if you will, of the kingdom of heaven. What God is planning right now in the hearts of humanity. I titled this message, Created to Thrive. And I think that we're meant for more. And sometimes we lose sight of what we were created for. And from understanding what we were created for, we then thrive. I'll give you an example. This is nothing against anyone in a certain generation. (laughs) You don't even know where I'm going with this. I called my mom to get permission that I could share this story. So... I, I, a couple of Christmases ago, I thought, okay, I'm going to get my mom a gift, a piece of technology, which was my first mistake. I got her a piece of technology, and I was like, okay, mom, it's a Google Home. It's got a 10 inch screen. You can FaceTime with me. You can run your calendar through it just by talking to it. You can watch. Uh, anything you want on there. You can tell it to, you know, like set timers for you and set your alarm. You can ask it questions like, hey, Google, how do you spell unprecedented? You're like, all these things. And I remember after I got it all set up for her over the phone, I said, okay. So I called her back a week later. I was like, okay, so what are you doing with it now? And she's like, oh, it's great. And I was like, that's awesome. And she was like, oh, yeah. Um, I use it to listen to the radio. And I was like, oh, Mom, you can do so much more than listen to the radio. And she was like, yeah, but I like the radio. It's nice. And I, I, I just, it's too complicated. I don't want to deal with it. I was like, instantly, buyer's remorse. She's advanced. We, I've helped her through a lot of sessions and training sessions on how to use it. But I think about it in the same way. That's technology. But, but you were made, created. God put a lot into you. Look at how different and unique you are than every single person in this room. How he fashioned you, shaped you, made you very unique and very special. You are not a carbon copy of anything. And God has given you the ability to comprehend. God has given you a conscience. God has given you a a, a will to decide. There must be reason. There must be more and I think about that, 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 that piece of technology I gave my mom. And I'm like, you're using it its very minimum, mom, to like 1940s technology. You need to use it for what it's meant for. But are we thriving? Are we fulfilling our purpose? Are we embracing what God has made in us individually and stewarding that? Well, I would say this message direction, I want to try to answer a few things. Why did God create you? Why are you even here? For what purpose? What is true life in Christ? This is all going to be a message about dealing with our core identity and our core value and worth. Because when you do not understand your core value and worth, you do not understand your identity, I think at the end of the day, you will lose sight of the mission. And the mission is what matters. When we forget who we are and who God equipped us to be and how intricately and wonderfully we were made for his glory, we will then forget the mission because the mission is clear and the mission does not change. So I have two thoughts, very important thoughts that we can talk about about our existence. Because I think to start the whole series about how to thrive, you must know how you were made in order to realize that you must thrive, you should thrive. God made you to thrive. Your identity is very, very valuable. First thing we must realize about why you were created, you were created to cultivate. You were made to make. You were created to develop, to steward, to better, to build. You were created to increase. Right From the very, very, very beginning, we were created with a purpose and for a purpose. And if you've ever asked that question, why did you make me God? We'll ask that question sometimes when we're most lost. Right? Why am I here? Why do I exist? I've had many conversations with people sitting in my office and saying, I don't even know why I'm here. Why do I exist? Why would God even put us here when life is so difficult? They're missing a very key part of why they are here. And they may be experiencing a lack of thriving in a way because what God made us for and the purpose he made us for is well beyond sometimes what people will live in. But you're not alone. I just looked this up. If you type in why do I exist in real actual searches where people have content about why you may or may not exist or a thought or whatever, there is 11.8 million Places you can go to at least to find why do I exist or being talked about at all. That's a lot. I think there's like 25 books on Amazon right now of just titled, Why Do I Exist? People are crying out. They're doing it through the internet, but it's no different than those in Egypt who are enslaved while they're building. God help us. We need deliverance. It's just done through a different way. But people are asking the big question, why am I here? Why does life matter? I think that during this last time, people are asking that question more and more and more. What's the point? What's the purpose? And the danger of this mentality of just going, I don't know. Everything's so confusing. It's so difficult. I don't know. Is The danger is apathy. Just, uh, meh. hmm the rolling eyes emoji trended for months. I remember using it myself of like, da-da-da, uh, rolling eye emoji, right? It, 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 it's just this, oh, I don't even know, just give up, whatever. But no, that's not what we're called to. That's not why we were made, is to just give in. But humanity's crying out. If you're feeling alone in that, you're not, Let's go right to the very beginning, Genesis 1 Then God said, Let us make man in our own image. Now, there, I read way too much and way too many papers about this very word because there's a debate of is, it, uh, is it, uh, it what kind of likeness of God, how much of a likeness of God. And the overall conclusion that people feel comfortable with saying, and probably me too, is that listen, there is a parental type of likeness God gave you that's unique and it's special and it's individual from everything else he has made. He has given birth in a way to you. You have a likeness of your creator in you. That's special. When you hold up your little baby, when your baby's born, the first thing you start doing is looking for likeness. Is that not true? He's got, my, uh, he's got my hair oh he's got my nose oh that's unfortunate for me <laughs> you know and I just think like we are always we're just looking well, how does this child resemble me we're looking for likeness and God says I made you in my likeness and in my image does God look like us I'm not sure I cannot say that but there's something unique and special about the likeness and he said let them have dominion over the fish now here's where it's different God is saying, I have authority to make all things, do all things, I have all things, and I'm actually going to entrust you with this thing. Mm. Cultivate. Then, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds uh, of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all of the earth, and over everything creepy thing that creeps on earth. It's interesting because we have to wonder, like, what... Does that mean dominion? What does it mean to live up to the likeness of God? And it's interesting because when you think about it, it's the more we are striving to connect with the identity of a likeness of our Father, the more that the world becomes well, the way it was intended to be. It's through grace that this has all happened. And in grace is when we begin to fulfill God's plan and purpose and intention. Why did he make you in his image and his likeness? What does that mean to him? And then more importantly, too, for us, what does it mean for us when we think about it? Genesis 128, we're talking about cultivating. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Very interesting. We get it, be fruitful and multiply. I think we can put two and two together, right? But there's so much more to being fruitful and multiplying, right? So much more. God invites us to share in his divine creative capacities. He didn't just make you and leave you. He gave you dominion and then invited you into the beauty of the created capacity he has, which is to produce that one day child if it will be for you and go, wow. And you look at your spouse and you go, "We made this." He gave us a gift I don't know if we fully understand its capacity. He didn't want to do this all on his own. He gave us dominion, and he gave us the ability to do what he did in this capacity of creating likeness, an image. What a gift. What a total gift. I'm glad I wasn't a mosquito. (laughs) I mean, think about it. He gave me a great gift. What do I do with it? How do I treat this gift? How do I treat creation, his handiwork? How do I treat other people, his likeness? How do I treat my fellow neighbor? Why was it so important that Jesus stressed this? Because your neighbor, who might be A neighbor you don't like or your enemy even is in God's likeness and image. It's his, right? Of course, when my kids fight, I'm like, no, 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 don't treat them that way. Come on. Like, that's my kid too. And then my kids will sometimes say, your daughter, your son. I'm like, my son, what are you talking about? This is your brother. This is your sister. And humanity, unfortunately, has lost its way in this area about valuing the likeness and the image of God, but we were called and created to multiply and be fruitful. And we were gifted this by God who shares with us in this. Why squander it? Why waste it? Living a life just unto ourselves and only to ourselves. I feel like it's like this Prius, right? I put this picture of this Prius up. And it's not the most attractive color. I got it, okay? But it's not bad, I but this is, this is how it feels like to me when we, we, I look sometimes at my own self when God's gifted me with so much and given me so much. And, and, then, and then I will then let it be, turn into this to show this other picture. This is unbelievable. Someone snapped that picture while they were in a parking lot. I was like, oh, my gosh. That's probably one of the worst duct tape jobs I've seen. And we'll go through life, and we'll just kind of patch it, and we'll just get through it. And it was once this potential. And then through life, we'll eventually just live with the duct tape of life. But God's called us to be fruitful and multiply and so much more. In a very interesting word, subdue it. What do you think that means? It's... it's, important to understand because i think one thing is we have to realize about being about giving subdue it is that we were given the we are created to develop grow Cultivate our surroundings, the very immediate people you have in your life, the very immediate surroundings you have, and even greater. We were called to subdue it. I love the NIB commentary. I'm going to read it. It's a little touch. It's probably a whole paragraph, but I need it. It's so good. It says, more generally, subduing involves, de- involves development in the created order. This process offers to human beings the task of intra-creational development. Of being the world alongside, of bringing the world alongside to its fullest possible creational potential. Here, paradise is not a state of perfection, not a static state of affairs. Humans live in a highly dynamic situation. The future remains open to a number of possibilities in which uh, creaturely activity will prove crucial for the development of the world. I love that definition of subduing it, that we are involved with God in the development and moving things forward. He gave this gift to us. What do we do with it? Let me give you an example of survival mode, the worst of humanity in survival mode. It's in Ezekiel. The leaders are leading people poorly. They have been given a gift to steward and and, and cultivate. And they have squandered it on really ultimately a self-preservation living. And when we silo off and we only think about ourselves and we're not looking at the greater of humanity, the greater of the world, and we just think only internally, we will find ourselves in a place that we may not be following what God wants us to do. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we maybe even might even just hurt God's creation or even disrespect the image of God all over. Ezekiel 3, uh, 3.24, this is a warning to the shepherds of Israel. This is tough. This is what God says to them. Shepherd, uh, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back. This is survival mode. This is living at the least of what God's called us for. It's a sobering reminder that God's plan and intention, and especially through the words of Christ and actions, it's to serve. It's not just to serve ourselves. I'll give you a thriving mentality. God follows up with this. This will be a heightened heart for life. Ezekiel 34, he says, For thus says the Lord, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. And he goes on to say, I will feed them, I'll protect them, I'll care for them, I'll set them free, I'll help them thrive, I'll bring rest to them. I'm going to lead them and I'm going to build them up. That is thriving mentality. That is when you know who you are and you know your purpose and you understand what God has entrusted you with. That's thriving mentality. If they won't do it, God will do it. Oh, so many times with my kids and when they were young, I'd be like, okay, come help me do this. And then they'd be like, eh, and they do it all bad. And just give it to me. You know what I'm talking about? I feel like God's doing this right now. Like, I'll just do it. Just step out of the way. I'm going to do it the way it needs to be done. None of you have ever done that, right? I can't write a book on parenting, I promise you. But I would just say that that's what, in a way, God's like, no, no, no. You've lost sight of why you're here. You've missed it. You're not stewarding it well. He's saying this to the leaders. Jesus says this also to the Pharisees. And and it echoes throughout history of are we looking to cultivate? Or are we looking to consume? The second part, and this will be a a little bit shorter, is um, when we think about why you exist. you You exist to cultivate, right? But you were created to strive. It's our series title, but I need to explain it a little bit. You were created to strive. You, you were actually, <laughs> through Christ, a new creation, very different. Now, this, this is where you have to know. You've been taken, brought into the body shop, worked on, new engine under the hood, with a whole bunch of little toolkits and, and a new tire. I mean, it feels like that when you start looking at the way you were created new, different, never seen to accomplish what God wants to do in this world. You were created to strive, same purpose, new creation. But let, me, let me point out to you what happened when you received Christ in your life. And maybe you can really deeply value what you have, right? It's a big difference between when we hear the description of what God created in the garden and I'm not saying that God is so different. I think God is moving forward into something new with new creation. It says, uh, and this is kind of what I laid out, Christ brought this in your life as a new creation, right standing with God, right? Which Adam and Eve had. A model, a, a model of life lived for God. He modeled how we should live. He walked how we should walk. He treated people how we should treat people. He saw the world as it should be. He connected humanity. Look at Christianity. It's beyond race. It's beyond uh, beyond, uh, countries. It's beyond uh, regions. It's beyond politics. It's beyond everything. Christianity unites more people than anything else around the world. It makes me say, my brother, my sister. Right? Christ brought that to deliver what God has planned for this world. He brought an internal divine guidance, the Holy Spirit, who is guiding you and directing you and is with you in every moment and every step of what you're doing. He brought a new mandate love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself and go make disciples in that. A new mandate. In a way, it's being fruitful and then multiplying. He's equipped you with gifts that are unique all throughout Scripture. And uh, I would say this is that he's brought fulfillment in him. No matter what happens around you, he's brought complete fulfillment in him. I read all these people who are Christians imprisoned all over the world, and their story's the same. I'm so full of life and joy while I'm being beaten or tortured. Or even just locked away in prison because I know who I am in Christ. That's beyond, right? God's, Jesus has brought this into our life. And then He brought life giving variety of spiritual fruits, meaning this is that when you are experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, it displays and humanity becomes better, not worse. The world becomes better, not worse. We are cultivating. Through the fruits of the Spirit, you were created to strive. Ephesians 2.10. We are His workmanship, created in Christ for good works. Now listen to these. Good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Walk in them is in an ethical sense. Meaning that we should conduct our ways after Christ in good works. Realizing the value of the workmanship. That he's placed inside of us. William Arthur Ward said this. I love this statement. He said, the mediocre teacher tells. The good teacher explains. The superior teacher demonstrates. And the great teacher inspires. That is what we are called to do with our faith. Christ didn't come and just save you. He came and brought you to inspire. Inspire others as an ambassador through our walk, right? How we conduct ourselves. But if you're not walking, no one's seeing it. So you've got to go out, be active, be engaged, be intentional so the light can shine. Last passage, Ephesians 3 8. Though I am the least deserving, Paul writes, of all of God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in christ i was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that god the creator of all things has kept secret from the beginning but verse 10 god's purpose in all ways or all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety use the church to display God's wisdom and His rich to variety. It's the church. It's, it's us that is to continue to cultivate and to fulfill what God had planned creation as he sees it and saw it and wills it. I don't want to be the person that God says, just get out of my way, then I'll do it if you want to just think about yourself. I want to be the person that says... How do you want me to conduct my ways? Help me to be one that inspires others towards you, God. He goes on to say his, rich, or sorry, his wisdom in his, its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Jesus Christ. You know, my last thought is this. When I look at pre-Christ, God's mission and plan and purpose for the earth felt like it was limited. And I get it for a reason to a certain region and a certain people at that time. But when I look at post-Christ and I look at the billions of people, even now today, and more billions before, that Christ is in the heart of of his people and they're bearing his image and they're living out and walking in that way. Look, I, I, people can say whatever they want about the church. I actually don't even care what they say about the church. I will say this is the church, ultimately, when I see it at work and the people at work, the world is better because of the image that we bear, that we are walking out in the world. Is it not? Is it not? They're weirdos, right? They're people I'm just like, hey, why don't you cool it on saying you're a Christian stuff for now until we get that right, and then we can talk about it later. But that is a very small voice. I'm talking about the people who are driven by the call of Christ, who love this world the way God loved it so much that He sent His Son, that want to go out and cultivate, want to go out and inspire others that there's life and life in its fullest, and that they can strive for something that they never thought beyond their expectation. I think the church is a beautiful display of God's heart for humanity. And I want to be that display. I hope you do too. I want to be someone who inspires and not just says a lot of stuff. I want to be that excellent type of teacher, exceptional, in the way I live. And I want to strive for that. The world will see Christ through that in our life. And the more they see Christ. The more they live out God's purpose and plan and connect with the image bearer himself in his likeness, the more right the world will become. I don't care about how divided it is. I don't care about all that stuff. I do know that God's in control, and he will take us where he wants to go for sure. I just don't want him to say, step aside. I'll get somebody else, or I'll do it myself. I want to be a part of that, and I hope you do too. Can you guys bow your heads? Kind of my, some questions I think that would be worth trying to answer for yourself is, why do I exist? That's worth trying to answer. Why do I exist? Such a powerful question. And seeking it out will be worth your while. It will raise your identity, which will ultimately raise your value that God has for you. Ultimately, it will change the way you live. I would say another question is worth answering is, what is my purpose in this life? Is my purpose self-preservation? Or is my purpose to thrive? And what does thriving look like? And how does that impact the kingdom of heaven the way God wants me to? Because I was created to cultivate. And I would say, what's been entrusted to me to cultivate? You can start there. You don't have to change the world. But you can change your world. What has God given you that you need to steward? It needs to thrive in. And I would say take a moment ultimately to reflect on all the areas of your life. What areas in your life could you say, and and we may talk about this in our community groups, what areas in your life are you just surviving in? You're hunkering down, you're just surviving day by day. What areas are you thriving in? I'm not saying life can be perfect. But I am saying you were called to thrive. You were created to thrive. And that's there for you. All there for you. So do not give up. God has called the church and he's called his people as image bearers fulfill his call and plan on this earth to make things right. And so I hope you sign up for that this week with God and rededicate. God, I'm about it. What do you need me to do? I'll get creative. You tell me where to go, I'll go. You have souped me up through Christ in a way to go out and be a witness that can make maximum impact. I know who I am and I know to whom I belong, God. I will go. Because he wants to send you. So God, we thank you. We love you. We, God, we thank you. As we worship in this last song, let us glorify you. None of this is possible without you, God. None of it. Everything we do is to glorify you. Anything we have is because of you. And anything we do will be through you. So God, to you all the glory. And we are so grateful that we even exist. But more than that, God, we are grateful that you've called us to thrive in this life. God, break fear off of people's shoulders, break any kind of resistance or voices that that really immobilize them. God, God, bring creativity, bring inspiration, God. Help them. Flame the fan that's inside of them that they have this gospel that must continue to go throughout history. And we carry it. What a privilege. Like Paul said, what a gift. We love you, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me and sing this last song?